0: Have you
1: ever asked the questions in the corner of your
2: mind? Well, I think after doing the Hawaii Ironman, you go, okay, well, what's next? I want to try something that pushes me a little bit harder, a little bit farther. And I think that the mountain climbing added that little bit of element of the death which was exciting, scary. I would never do that today. (laughs) That was pre-children. I thought I was invincible, like most children do. They think that they're never going to die, and that's how I felt. Prior to children, I wanted to test that limit. I wanted to feel it. I wanted to know what that felt like to get close to death. When you put yourself in those situations where it's life and death, when other things happen, you go, hey, I've almost died. We can do this. And it makes you stronger, for sure, in lots of life situations, not just athletic or physical
0: Yes, I
1: believe. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of I Believe. We're so excited to have a real life Wonder Woman and living embodiment of health and fitness, Heather Wildman, join us today to share all things I Believe. A mother, a marathoner, a triathlete, a mountaineer, a paddleboarder, an extreme fitness expert, a warrior, a model, and all round adventurer. Heather helps others to shine as she shines herself with her passion and business, Malibu Fountain of Youth and Fitness. Heather, welcome to the studio today. It's fantastic to have you join us for this week's podcast.
2: Thank, Thank you for having me.
1: It's wonderful. I know it's been a long journey for you across the road yes. <laughs> to, come, <laughs> to come and join us. <laughs> Always running around. It's great to have you sat down, good chat, and cover all things I believe.
0: Yes. Heather, we know you in the context of the personal trainer that you are now. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other contexts that people have known you in in your life. Right. If somebody were to say, who is Heather
2: Wildman? How would you describe who you are or what you do? Who I am today is different than who I was 20 years ago. I guess a mother would be how I'd like to describe myself. That's my being and who I am and why I do what I do. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a personal trainer. And the personal training affords me the ability to be a good mother and a good wife because I want to be able to show my girls that I have a profession and I work hard and I think that they see that in me and they I think respect me and I think that's important but yet I'm still able to be the personal trainer and have the time to raise my girls the way that I want to raise them so I feel very fortunate in that.
0: You're also a model and have had a career in modeling. Yes. And extreme sports has been part of your journey, too. So you're a healthy mom. Right. And also have had a journey with your own self-esteem and all sorts of things that contribute to that being a great mom. Yes.
1: There are no labels. And a couple of episodes ago when we spoke with Jen Edwards, first and foremost, top of the tree was I'm a mother. It's so heartening to hear that. It is hard as Al's talking there to package you in one aspect of what you do, because it's been a life's journey of your health, your own endurance athlete, the challenges you've set yourself and being a strong feminine role model all the way through in doing that. Mm -hmm. Can you take us all the way back to your first memories of running, climbing up trees, (laughs) however, however that because you've always got a boundless energy that we see in you. Where did that start for you?
2: I'm going to back up a little bit. So I think that people see me today at 52. There's a perception that people have because of how I look. But I think, you know, if you go back, we all have our stories. My mother and stepfather had two children. They got separated. My mother moved to Hawaii and met a man, got pregnant with me. But then my stepfather came over to Hawaii and said, I love you. I want you back. Let's stay together. She says, I'm pregnant. And he says, I don't care. I'll raise like She was my own. So they moved back to California. They had me, and he's on my birth certificate. They had two more children after me. And so there's a family of five. My older brother and sister and my younger brother and sister have the same mother and father. I have a different father. And I didn't know that until I was five. When I found out, that was a hard pill to swallow for a five-year-old. That's one of my first memories. That kind of shaped who I am today in, I'm going to say a good way. You know, some people would say, oh, this is why I am the way that I am. But for me, I felt different. I looked different. My siblings, some of them treated me different. One of my siblings said, well, you're not my real sister. And that's hard. You know, that's a hard thing for a child to have to stomach. You think, what's wrong with me? Why didn't that person want me? Why didn't my real father want me? So that was a difficult pill to swallow. You live through that. But I remember as I got to be in my teens... I started going to therapy and I had to learn it wasn't about me and to appreciate the father who did take me on as his own, even though I wasn't. And he did. He treated me like I was his flesh and blood and always has and you know, always will. Instead of thinking of it as a negative thing, I take it as a positive thing. I'm so lucky and so blessed to have a father who wasn't my biological father who treated me and raised me that way. It wasn't him. It was me, my own feelings of having self-worth issues. But it was the athletics that really gave me confidence because having that experience as a child, I didn't have confidence. I was very low self-esteem and I had boyfriend issues. (laughs) But then I met my second boyfriend. He introduced me to triathlon and marathon running. It was in my DNA. My biological father was an athlete but I had never been exposed to athletics, so I'd never tapped into it. But when that boyfriend did, that brought out so much confidence. Then I thought, oh my gosh, it's so important for girls to be athletic. He turned me on to the triathlon and marathons, and then I became confident. I got a lot of my self-confidence through the athletics. I guess it started with marathons, and then I turned to triathlons because of the cross-training. So after the therapy and
0: starting to get to grips with the family and starting to get to grips with who you are, you land into something that actually you recognize is you and really you're a natural that.
2: Did you meet your biological father at all? Yes. So my mother and father finally got divorced after my younger sister was born. I was about three years old. Around that time was when my biological father came back into the picture as a quote unquote friend. I guess one day I asked my mother, who's Bill? And my mother told me, oh, well, he's your father. In my mind, she didn't have to tell me that. (laughs) But so then I knew him as my biological father.
0: And how was that for you to
2: recognize different traits and qualities? And I didn't like it. I didn't want to have another father.
1: Like you say, and what we all discover when we have conversations with each other, and especially when we do the I believe, is it's such a common piece of the jigsaw at formative ages of age five and age seven, where there's a father abandonment, there's a mother abandonment, there's our, who am I? I feel so different in this family. And we talked about it ourselves, both Al and I, in, in our story. It's amazing with the human jigsaw, where if you have a mission where you're going to end up where you are now, there's a divine purpose to it almost, to have to go through the challenges of self-worth. And that huge abandonment, you're a reconciled soul, where you are now at your age but to a five-year-old their life-defining experiences but also without talking for you i'm sure as you got older it gave you that freedom to explore whatever you wanted to explore and not be beholden to anyone Mm -hmm. necessarily in the family because it's all part of the divine picture to go if you're going to be a warrior over here you're going to have to face a lot of those self-actualization experiences to get there
2: right Mm -hmm. in my case i think it made me stronger
0: yeah, you're making sense of yourself much earlier in life than maybe somebody who's deriving sense of their self through the surroundings and things. You're having to self actualize earlier. Right. And so around 21, you're starting to find you in sports. What aspects of that were related to your biological dad?
2: You said he's an athlete, he was a uh, hurdler, sprinter. The difference is he was like the fast twitch athlete. I'm more of a long endurance athlete, but at least there was some athletic genetics. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And you've trained the other way, which we'll come to later on as well with the high intensity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) When you first got into the triathlons and the the endurance running with the marathons, was it because of you very quickly had success time-wise or was it that you just found you could do it? Was it respect within your peers that you were running with, which aspect of it? was almost instantaneous for you.
2: I think I was good at it. It came easy for me, let's put it that way. And I enjoyed it. I was mostly an aid grouper. I think it helped me just being able to accomplish something. Because like I said, I had such low self-confidence. I didn't think I was good at anything. And so at least I could do something relatively well. For example, the boyfriends, I never thought somebody would actually ever want to marry me. I never thought I could be a good athlete. But yeah, I could, and so I surprised myself just being able to do it and finish it and accomplish it and set a goal. And
1: When I was growing up, I saw a lot with spirit and no one else did around me. But I used to call them long, mind-wandering runs. So running cross-country... There's something about running that helps the mind with those thoughts when we go through the self worth challenges in our life and think I'm not good enough I'm not this Was there something for you where your mind went to a different place when you're running that helped as well?
2: Absolutely, and maybe I was running away from all of my problems, you know, or issues, but through it all, I think that it helps you to think about your life and where you're going and how it's happening. And you know, I've come to some of the Biggest self realizations through those long runs, or long hikes, or long bike rides.
1: Yeah, we're with you. There's definitely some kind of internal machinery that goes on when when you run that drops things into place Mm
0: -hmm. or drops them off. You know, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah, I started running as well when I was about, I think seven, maybe. My mom was into running. She had six kids. That's how she probably (laughs) survived too. But as one of the six kids, I ran. As well, (laughs) to to run off the dynamics in the family, or clear your head, or have amazing ideas, or once you just get into a rhythm, you know, maybe past the first mile or whatever, going into the second where the mind goes in and the body's just kind of doing its thing. Body experience, right? You could just keep going, right? And you see things. So you started down this path of marathons and
2: triathlons later, but they just kept going. How many marathons have you done now? I've run 12 marathons, including the one in the Hawaii Ironman.
1: Wow.
2: Well, so the thing with the marathons is it's brutal on your body. (laughs) So I think I realized it was affecting my body. So that's when I turned to the triathlon because you could swim and bike and not have all that pounding. So it was better for my body. Ironmans are the full distance of everything. Right. An Ironman is 2.4-mile swim, 112-mile bike, and a 26.2-mile run marathon.
1: And that was the the absolute lodestar was the Hawaiian World Championship one, isn't it? You did that. I did that one. Yes, and I
2: was top ten in my age group. I didn't win, but (laughs) but the Hawaii Ironman, you're competing against the best of the best in the world, not just your state or country. I'd have to say, with all of my sports, the Ironman. Yes, it was difficult, but it's not the most difficult. Because you can train the course, you can go do bits and pieces of it and see it all and experience it before the actual event, as opposed to you know mountain climbing, mountaineering. Your life is in danger. The Ironman, your life is not really in danger. You've got all that support, and you know you're not going to fall off a cliff. And
1: you mentioned it there, so come on, let's do that segue from top level endurance sport to actually now you're an adventurer. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a whole different kettle of fish. Doesn't matter how necessarily fit or how much stamina or technique you have you're also facing fears dating can you just talk us how you got into the mountaineering and the, and the big well after climbs?
2: after the hawaii iron man i was like okay now what's next and i'd always wanted to climb a mountain you know why would you climb a mountain it's there why not <laughs> But that is the difference in Ironman. It's completely physical. It's mental too. It is because I always say it's 99% mental because if you tell yourself you can't do it, you won't. Your mind will stop you. But the difference between the Ironman being mostly physical, the mountaineering or mountain climbing and or adventure races, you know, you have the death part that you could fall to your death. You face that a few times. Yes. (laughs) (laughs)
1: And you you say that so casually, but that is... In fact, you know, I've mentioned before, once we can understand death, then we can truly live. So Mm -hmm. it's one of the biggest lessons of the human journey is to have some kind of understanding of our mortal life to be. So if we go to the extreme... Of extreme sports, like the free climbers and the base jumpers and, and things like that. Some of them willingly, you know, are trying to test death to say they're valued and worth it to stay on the planet. Where did you cross that line with you where you were almost like fed you probably to put yourself in that position?
2: Well, I think after doing the Hawaii Ironman, you think, okay, that's the biggest thing that there is. But then you go, okay, well, what's next? I want to try something that pushes me a little bit harder, a little bit farther. And I think that the Mountain climbing added that little bit of element of the death, which was exciting, scary. I would never do that today. <laughs> that was pre-children, and I thought I was invincible. After having children, I do not want to put myself in that situation. Now I do adventure things where there's 99% chance I'm not going to die. <laughs> 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 but um, prior to children, I wanted to test that limit. I, I think I wanted to feel it. I want to know what that felt like to get close to death. Just like when having children, I wanted to know what it felt like to have a baby naturally without the drugs and all that. So it's all about feeling something and experiencing things that you might not otherwise. That's just me, though. I don't think that everyone has that same feeling. You know, you were from young, looking at the value of your
0: life and then who you are in it and taking it back as yours. Mm -hmm. You're going to have scary moments in there that go, do you value you? Do you value this? Right. Right. Now you have children, how do you value this now? And it's just been growing and growing and growing in your life, your worth, your value, your sense of vitality and vibrancy and love of this life. What's the scariest moment that you had that was one of those hmm,
2: this is actually scaring <laughs> me moments where you really had to I overcome have a comment? I have one experience that comes to mind where I remember thinking I could definitely die right now. So my husband and I, we were in Aspen. It was 4th of July. And we had done some mountain climbing before. Nothing major at that point. We were mostly training because we had goals that we wanted to climb Kilimanjaro. You have to train to do that. So we went to Aspen and there's maroon bells. And so we got the guidebooks and we had all our gear. And so we climb up these ice chutes and we have crampons and ice axes and we're climbing up the ice and we get to the summit and it's beautiful and we're hanging out and taking pictures. But like an hour passed. And so we said, okay, we better start heading back down. And as we're heading down, that ice chute that we climbed up, which was kind of soft, now is frozen solid. And so we have to down climb backwards with our ice axes and picks very, very slowly because it was very dangerous. By the time we got off the ice chute, it was getting dark. And We're not that experienced and we didn't know the route that well. (laughs) We had our headlamps, but you could only see in front of you. You can't really see the big picture when it's dark out. And so I climbed into a situation where it became very steep and very, it's called scree. It's very little shale-like material that to me, it felt like it could have been avalanche. It could slide like a snow avalanche. So I got into a situation where I'm now facing the mountain, hands and feet, and the shale is sliding around me. Nice. And so I'm feeling like, oh my gosh, I am going to slide to my death. So I'm like, John, he has a tendency to climb ahead of me <laughs> to make sure that the terrain is safe, blah, 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 But I think I got into a situation that he didn't. And so I'm yelling and screaming and like, come get me. And I'm shaking and he comes and we're harnessed, but we were not roped together. But he goes up above me he ropes to a big rock and throws the rope down to me so that I rope in and I climb out of that situation I didn't know I thought I could have slid to my death thankfully I was rope he would have had me so at that point I remember thinking this is it I'm going to die but there was no revelation that came to me at that moment no (laughs) except for I'm going to die and I don't want to and I don't want to exactly that's that's pretty
0: clear
1: (laughs) Uh, uh, yeah that's a big enough one right there Was that the same trip? And I just want to backtrack. I'd love you to share this. And just to give it some context, I was talking to John about one of your trips and I'm like, it got me out of trouble with Al because we discovered there's a Tumash trail behind us that hit one of the main trails that we go hiking on. Mm -hmm. So we couldn't find it from the bottom. So we went up the one we know and I could see these little summits, hills coming down back to behind our house. I'm like, this is it. This is where we're going. And both of us wanted to do it. Bearing in mind, I've got some boots and jeans on. Al's got like half cut leggings. Next thing you know, we're in scrub, and we can't go back, and we have to keep going. And I was getting scratched a bit. I wasn't. There was no trail.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He (laughs) said, "There's." I see the trail. There was no trail. The
1: fires had wiped out any trail that was, and everything had grown back. So it was where the trail was, but there was no trail. So, yeah, Yeah. we got back and I wasn't Al's favorite person from that. (laughs) And then John shares his story where you guys had to camp, which I'd love you to share, overnight and you still had to hike out a marathon. And I'm like, see, darling, we just did a little trail behind the house.
2: (laughs) To that point, after that experience, I said, I'm never climbing with you without a guide again. (laughs) So we learned.
1: But was that the same trip? Yes,
2: we got out of the dangerous spot. We climbed down a little bit further and I was... Very angry with John, <laughs> even though it really wasn't his fault. But yes, we camped out on like a little ledge. We had no sleeping bags. We had backpacks. We tried to climb into the backpack. <laughs> you know, like so, like yeah. our feet and the knees maybe were warm, and we just yeah huddled up and and tried to sleep, but waited for daybreak because we realized at that point we couldn't go any further in the dark. It was too dangerous. How long did it take for you guys the next day to get out? It was four or five hours. But I remember we got home, and we were staying with John's mother. And she was so angry at me. <laughs> I'm like, what would I do? Because we, we didn't call. But there is no cell service out on the mountain. So she was just super worried. Because lots of people do die on the room bells. Yeah. so oh, it's serious. Yeah. yeah. John said at one point,
0: and I don't know if it's the same trip, but John being Heather's husband <laughs> for the listeners, Didn't you slide into his leg?
2: Yes. (laughs) So that was on the way up, actually. Ice climbing through that chute, it was slippery. So it wasn't solid, but it was slippery snow. And I did. I slid. We were roped together, and I would go up like 20 feet, and then he would come up and pass me and go up another 20 feet. I had passed him, and I misstepped, and I slid down, and he tried to catch me. And so he stuck his leg out. And my crampon landed in his knee. (laughs) And so he had a big hole. He was self-arresting in case I did slide past him. So self-arresting, you have the ice axe and you're laying on it, and the opposite end of the pick oh, went into no. his forehead. So he had a scar in his forehead, like a crampon in his knee, and then we used uh, like moleskin and duct tape <laughs> to put him back together. And I was on your oh, way
0: up, up. But yeah. That, that was way. before you actually
2: had to sleep on the mountain right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> with no, not with no, you know, no bags gear. or a gear. In. That's amazing. Just no. there, on a serious note, having gone through such extreme survival almost experiences do you feel it brings a lightness to when certain things in life are not as worrying or they creep up anyway
2: i think it does i think that when you put yourself in those situations where it's life and death when other things happen you go hey i've almost died this is not death you know i'm not going to die doing this we can do this and it makes you stronger for sure in lots of life situations not just athletic or physical
0: Yeah, like what Jules was referring to in the walk hike, it's a walk relative to what you guys did, where we didn't like each other at the end was somewhere in the middle of that. The ground beneath our feet wasn't solid, and everything was above my head, so I couldn't see any distance. He could see. And then you're getting hurt. But also, you know how it is with a mountain. You don't know on the next ledge if it's the one that's going to drop off. Mm -hmm. The landscape looks flat until you're there. And the mind can kick in. And for me, what happened is my fear kicked in. Mm -hmm. I was fine until my fear kicked in. And then when it kicked in, it was debilitating. I had to tell myself I wasn't about to die in my backyard in the mountains right behind the house Uh. (laughs) somewhere. And that's where we weren't able really to communicate. But there's so much of the mind that goes on. Emotionally, you have to put your emotions into a certain box. Right. You've got to find a rationale to anchor into, and then you have to decide safety is here. As a practice, as a world, we didn't even do that in the last year, anchoring into some idea of safety so that we can move on and so that we can go out of our houses and engage with people, etc., But it's a great training for you. And it's probably ingrained in you to find safer
2: mindsets and safer ideas or stronger thoughts. Exactly. Find, well, this isn't so bad. I'm not going to die. Don't live in fear. I try to live in very small moments as possible living in fear. And you are in charge of that. And so until you're really up against it, I think if you can keep that mind frame that you're not going to die and not have that fear, you're going to go farther you know, But when you get close to it is when you really get fearful. Yeah. And a surrender has to
0: happen, like something has to anchor you into, even though I'm afraid it's possible I'm fine here. Right. So here you are in your 20s and 30s. Early 30s. And life moved from boyfriends into marriage somewhere along right. the way. At
2: this point? At this point, yeah. yes. Where did career go for you as well? Did this become career yet or not quite? Not quite. So at that point... When I was introduced to marathons and triathlons, I was working at like Malibu Deli, going to school at Santa Monica City College, supporting myself. I wanted to do something with my life. I didn't know what it was. I went to a party. I met this girl. She was a flight attendant and like a light bulb went on. And I thought, wow, that sounds amazing to travel for work. And so I went and I applied and I became a flight attendant but at the same time when I was doing the modeling, mostly fitness modeling. So I became a flight attendant. I could go on auditions. I could do my triathlon. I could travel the world. You know, that actually also gave me a lot of self confidence because I had never left Malibu really. And I was now traveling the world, had a career. Oh doing triathlon, you know, so I was growing exponentially as a person, so I broke up with that boyfriend because <laughs> I was having more confidence in myself and about that time is when I met John, my husband actually had a commercial shoot
0: and that's interesting at this point because this is you finding you and mixing the m- modeling with the athletics and the travel, so seeing the world outside of where you'd grown up. Did you have some challenges with being a female, strong athlete and also the model, which can be seen as supposed to be a certain type of feminine? Mm-hmm. You know, did you have
2: a conflict between the fitness I, and, I the, think, and yeah. the modeling? Okay. At some so point? the one thing that I noticed when I was doing all of the triathlon, the marathon, Female athletes, in my opinion, seem very masculine, and I wanted to be the female athlete that was still feminine. So I really worked hard to be a very good, strong athlete, but still hold on to my feminine side. And I really wanted to portray that. I don't know why, it was, but that was important to me. I thought about that, and I, I made a point of trying to be a female, feminine, strong athlete woman. I faced a similar concept
0: differently in banking. Mm -hmm. So the more executive you got in at least our generation, okay, may have changed a little bit now, but the more executive you got, the more male you were supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Your voice would go deeper. You had to be able to hang with the boys and you had to be able to do what they did as opposed to maintain whatever your sense of femininity was. Now, nowadays, what is feminine, what is masculine probably merges with those words. So, this is just the best attempt to try to describe it. So, I can see how as an athlete at the level you're operating, wanting to maintain that sense of feminine, the the modeling is almost that extreme feminine. But did you find on the other side, you also ran into trouble? Like where in the modeling, they were looking for Someone less athletic, or did you just mostly
2: see it the other way around? No, I did see that too. I mean, I I definitely was very physically fit, and it didn't sometimes go actually a lot of the times because that's not how people perceive women. More the softer, feminine. I was soft, but yet I had muscles. You know, I yeah, was, you have both. I, have I was both, both. but and in the commercial world, that's not normal. I think that most commercials are looking for the average, the general public so that people can relate to it. I was kind of unrelatable. So yes, I did not get a lot of jobs because of that.
0: Being unrelatable can be even a belief system that would have come all the way from little and plays out on your stage, you know. There's no surprises that it? it would become a challenge in some context when you're being most yourself. The one challenge that could sometimes reflect back would be, I'm unrelatable. I'm that one that's different. different. Mm-hmm. And how do I get understood and seen? So, of course, at some point in our lives, we continue, even when we're excelling, to check in on that belief system to see if the world really can relate. And they've always been able to. It was just a misnomer.
1: Absolutely. If You brought all those components to the table. The super athlete, look Amazonian, all very, very feminine. How many times you faced death climbing mountains, but didn't in the, one of the reality shows, you were nailing it, but you were making it look too easy. Right. <laughs>
2: So, that was a reality show that I did for Discovery Channel. And the show was called Global Extreme Mount Everest. You were trying to win a spot to climb Mount Everest. Pre-children, by the way. <laughs> and I was all for this. I made it past the first round. I was in the second round. And in his opinion, I made it look too easy. You know, I still had my hair done and I wasn't like huffing and puffing and boogers weren't flying out of my <laughs> nose and I wasn't vomiting at the side. And, you know, so I made it look easy. So, it wasn't dramatic enough for the reality show because we all know it's all drama (laughs) they're looking for drama and it is amazing
1: i think just for people to digest that because it it is where you have brought together all the components of you being allowed to be you not what anyone else is trying to make you into Mm -hmm. what you said from that early age you know i'm going to push myself and test myself to the limit through sport i'm going to be as feminine as i want to choose to be myself And I'm going to turn up and deliver. And you do. I said that at the start of the show. Your always natural disposition is making it look easy. Right. That's special to hold on to that and have that. And you haven't given any excuses for going through any of that. You just face them head on and embrace them. And I think male or female, old or young, listening to this could take a bit more of that page out of the book.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's fun. For you, you're doing extreme sports. You are performing at the highest level of any of that with anybody. And your nails are done. You look fantastic. (laughs) What are you, six foot? Six foot. You're six foot tall, and you're smiling, and you're bright, and you're encouraging everybody to join you. Right. Why not? Anyone of any level – join me. We're going to have fun. i uh, not being seen as less of an athlete doing it that way, or less of a model doing it that way. Why can't it just be completely and totally expressed as we want? And I think that's been the beauty of the way that you've done it. Uh, isn't about adjusting.
2: Right. And being me and being true to myself, even yeah. though it's hard to keep being who you are especially in this day and age where you get the haters. And the one thing I've learned most in the last, I would say 10 years, I guess, and my husband is always good at this, is that you can't please everyone. You know, In the world, you're going to have 33% of the people are going to love you, 33% of people are going to hate you, and 33% are going to be somewhere in between. And you can't control that. And so as long as you're true to who you are, I think that's the most important thing, even though yeah, it is hard. You still get the haters, but at least I'm true to myself. And that's I think what we should do at least that's what I try to teach my girls
1: I think that's huge and if we frame it with our I believe that's a really strong belief for you which all of us can take something from is to reclaim our own sense of self what feels right for us what works for us and stick with that it's true I've witnessed it firsthand when we did the running group with you last year and we're running and in Starbucks, I'm suddenly, hey, what's your name? I saw you running on Sunday, and I'm laughing to ourselves, saying everyone's recognised me from running. Oh, oh no, hang on a sec! <laughs> <laughs> you were with the tall lady with the golden blonde hair, and I'm ah, I, I get it. Now. <laughs> but it it also makes me bristle slightly because I'm like, this lady's got the biggest heart in the neighbourhood. People are all right to throw sticks or stones from the other end of the camp. But it takes a real strength for you to know that is all of the package of who you are and to live that with the big heart that you do. And we've said that before, both Alan and I, with you. It'll be more than 33% that meet you at that because they know your heart.
2: They have to get to know me, though, or at least belief of the way I look and take that visual and make their own opinion based on that, not based on who I am or getting to know me. And how do
1: you navigate it or what tools have got stronger over the years doing that?
2: I think just always coming from a place of goodness, just being kind and polite, honest and true to myself. And I think if I live my life that way, and there's haters, that's not me, that's them. If I can just always be nice and kind and polite and generous and thoughtful, if somebody has a negative thought about me, that's not of something that I've done, because I know I'm true to myself, and I've lived my life that way. If somebody has a negative thought, it's not because of something I've done, at least not intentionally. <laughs> no, and it's something you learned right away
0: okay, dad's not in my life, but that's not because of something I've done. I think it's taken me time to learn that. That's hard. And I think it takes all of us time to learn that. We're all still learning that. I believe means be and believe in you, even though we're doing it out of Malibu. Say that again? The be you in I believe is be you. Be you, yeah. It's be and believe in you. Mm. That's why we're doing it. It's about encouraging People to take a look at their own narratives, what's formed their narratives, but to come back to the authentic narrative, the authentic belief system. And as a mom, which is the you that you are being, Mm -hmm. and the personal trainer, this is the backstory for why you believe as you do. And how important believing in yourself has been in order to have your self-worth and value intact and your self-esteem What better motherhood belief to emanate than that? Never mind community member and female leader and individual in the world. That's important for us, right? So how did you move into personal training? Because that is what you're doing there. You're encouraging people to be you.
2: After I was doing some of those mountain climbing, and after I did that global extreme, Mount Everest, and I, I didn't win the chance to go climb, out, <laughs> um, then I think somehow we decided, okay, let's move on to the next chapter in our life. And so that's when we decided to get married and start a family. We started our family in Chicago. At that time, I'd stopped being a flight attendant. Well, 9-11 happened, <laughs> so that was my last day at work. And then we, we had the babies, and so I wasn't working. I was just raising the kids but the girls were about five and seven and my husband quits his job. So we moved back to Malibu and he was starting his own company and I had to work. I couldn't be the stay-at-home mom anymore. I went on a hike with a friend and I came to this revelation that I should become a personal training because that's what I love to do. It was a hard decision for me though, because I had always had a perception of what personal trainers were. Stupid, cheating. So there was this belief that I had about personal trainers. I
1: lived that life too, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I I had those beliefs thrown at me and and definitely, and couldn't be further from the truth, the same way that you do it yourself.
2: But fitness is what I love to do. And so I decided to go and get my certification and I had started doing a new form of training that a friend had introduced me to. And so I realized after all of my endurance training that I needed to incorporate weightlifting and maybe some explosive exercise at that point I was 42 getting older and a youngster (laughs) (laughs) and so I wanted to share that I wanted to teach that I was new to Malibu again as an adult I still had a lot of my friends but um, now I had children so the children were going to school and I was making new friends the parents of the other children and so I started a group. I was like, hey, come work out with me at the park. After living in Chicago for 12 years, being in the basement or in a health club <laughs> half of the year, I said, I'm never going back into the gym if I could help it. So we have you know, such great parks here in Malibu and the beach. So I started this group in the park with all the moms doing this Tabata explosive high intensity interval training. I chose 30 seconds on 10 second rest, but that's just the platform. And I realized I loved it. And I stopped worrying about what people thought a personal trainer meant or stood for. And I wanted to inspire people to be healthy and be fit and exercise, especially, I think, as you get older. My father-in-law, Don Wildman, was my muse. He was such an athlete. that At 50, he started doing Ironmans. And he did them for eight years. And he was always exercising. He was so fit. And I saw, I was like, wow, he's 80 some odd years old, but he looks so young. And it's the exercise that made him young and youthful. It's like a light went off. And that's when I came up with the Malibu Fountain of Youth Fitness. Fitness is the fountain of youth. It's just inspiring people to be healthy and fit and then have those people that I've inspired inspire others. That's mainly what I want to do. I want to inspire people to be healthy and active and live long, happy lives. And I think that that's what I want to leave as my legacy.
1: You exude that. It shines from you, which not in itself inspires others to get involved. I'm a firm believer that you can just do the best you can to be you. But if that intention's pure, then it starts resonating out and ripple effect to others.
0: Your legacy is inspiring others to be healthy, absolutely, and to care about their health and go into life more vital. But really what it seems to be even more about is inspiring them to believe in themselves and inspiring them to have worth and value. Uh, The people who arrive in your workouts are people who are absolutely there to be inspired by you, to play, it's quite playful. Mm -hmm. The groups are playful. What you're doing online is playful. But they're from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all sense of internal limitation, all life challenges, Things haven't all worked out for everybody. Even all economic and financial backgrounds, everything. It's all walks of life. It doesn't matter. As they recover themselves, you're helping them recover. Right. And then there's a part that says, and by the way, look around. Nature's here to help you use the outside and breathe and connect with the world around you to connect with the world inside. So you have more than one thing going on. You wrap it up all kind of tidy, but... There's what more you're going doing on. inside,
2: and why yeah, you're doing definitely. it is deep. Yeah. Right. right. It's hard though to get some people to come out of their shells and and come to a workout or to reach out because I think we're all creatures of habit. And so it's fearful, it's scary to try something new for a lot of people. And some people I've noticed they have to just be in the right place at the right time. like I'll mention the workout to them and it's like three or four years later they come around when they're ready. All I can do is be there for them. And usually when they do come, they (laughs) wish they had come years earlier because it's not as hard. It's fun and it's inspiring. (laughs) It is. It can be a mom who's
0: trying to find her space in the day. It can be a person who's going through something in their lives. It could be someone who's overcoming an injury. It doesn't matter whether it's emotional or physical or mental, the rationale. Even us, we'll see you and we'll go, Yep. She's making me think about what it is I should be doing out there. And and we're not alone in that. No. You know, so many people go, I saw you running Jules the other day. <laughs> Heather reminds us all to do that. You know? <laughs> they,
1: they might have said jogging. <laughs> but just to, to tie up some of those points, I think, and we'll come back to it because, you know, people know that there's training and there's training, but very specifically, as you're saying too, you are focusing on kicking in as you'd call it, the, the youth hormone, but human growth hormone, which I'd love you to talk about in a second. But when I wrote my book, The Way Forward, W-E-I-G-H, Way Forward, looking at the emotional causes, I kind of phrase chemotional. We're all very aware of the adrenaline fight or flight hormone, but every single emotion releases a chemical and a hormone. So we all have our own chemotional cocktails going on. That can even apply to exercises. Like you say, it might just not be the right time for them. You're trying to stimulate it through the exercises and then they're going to get a huge benefit chemotionally Mm -hmm. because it'll trigger different emotions too. It goes hand in hand, especially when you're focusing on stimulating, as you'd call it, the youth hormone.
2: Right. I do think that the exercise does stimulate something in them that they not just get stronger Physically, but also emotionally. They work through things where they, like, they'll start with like five pound weights and then they'll move on to eight pounds and then 12 pounds. So they get stronger, but it's an emotional thing that triggers strength mentally, not just physically. Yeah. As we age, uh, our body's natural ability to create growth hormone declines. So when people say, oh, my metabolism has slowed down. In my opinion, that is your growth hormone declining. And so what we need to do is we need to stimulate that naturally, as opposed to taking the synthetic growth hormone, which a lot of people are doing today. The way to stimulate growth hormone naturally is by doing explosive exercises, sprinting, jumping, you know, high intensity interval training. So I do that in all of my workouts. So you're releasing growth hormone, you're building muscle mass so that you can stand up taller, have better posture. But when your metabolism slows down, what happens is because you're creating less growth hormone, your muscle mass is declining. When you're younger, you have more muscle mass naturally. As we get older, we need to keep our muscle mass so that we'll burn more calories at rest. One pound of muscle burns 50 calories at rest. One pound of fat burns two calories. So the more muscle mass your body has, the more calories your body will naturally burn. That's why as we get older, we need to maintain our muscle mass or increase our muscle mass just to be able to burn more calories at rest. When you stop doing that is when your metabolism slows down. Part of my workout is to keep that growth hormone stimulated and also maintain or grow muscle mass. And I don't mean to be a big muscle head because that's very difficult to do, especially as you get older. You have to lift heavy, heavy weights and eat lots and lots of proteins.
0: So what you're showing by that is as our metabolism drops, so too do our emotions end up adding to that. So our depression, our emotional weightiness becomes a cycle, a vicious cycle of a combination of lethargy, lack of energy, lack of enthusiasm, lack of drive, in all areas, Mm -hmm. intimacy as well, and then becomes this cycle that you can't get out of. A little bit of exercise. So you're not talking about having to go and hammer it out in the gym. You're talking about lift a few weights for the first time, stretch, maybe bounce a bit on something, (laughs) like your your little trampoline thing, but get some movement in that is slightly explosive that your body can do. And then keep
2: adding to that because you're going to reverse that cycle. Exactly. But you have to start somewhere, yeah. you know, just starting a little bit. And that's what I like about my workout is because with a 30 seconds on 10 second rest, you can do one rep or work really hard. And, you know, so you just work your way up and you get stronger and stronger. I don't want to hurt anybody. So I try to design my workouts that are very, I don't to say gentle, but appropriate and proper technique. You know, I look at Instagram and I see all these young people and they're doing these crazy moves that look so amazing, but I also cringe at the same time because I'm like, oh, that's going to hurt <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or that could potentially yeah. hurt somebody. But yeah, so you need to start somewhere. At all ages. At all ages, especially. Like I said, my father-in-law started doing Ironman at 50. Things I want to teach people that you can start and just build up and go slow. You'll feel better and sleep better. Wake up the next day feeling better about who you are. So the girls, your daughters,
0: they're older, they've been watching you. Do they participate in
2: this? How do they feel about fitness and exercise? <laughs> you would think that they would <laughs> see mom and they would <laughs> follow my footsteps, but no, they're teenagers. Yeah.
1: They go the other way, they teenagers, go the other way,
2: they? <laughs> But you know, I, I the thing do. is yeah. they see it and they actually my older one, she's been going to the gym lately and she also sees that by exercising, it helps her mentally. You know, she's a teenager and she has anxiety and it helps her she, and she knows it helps her. I remember even like four or five years ago, she was like, mom, I think I need to go for a run. I'm not feeling very good today. So they know it, but they're not totally into it. I know that you're cheering them on and their aspirations too. but they do it dance. Yeah, yeah they, they dance and cheer and you know, like I said, they know that the exercise helps them feel better mentally and emotionally.
1: And so often it happens when they go into their 20s or 30s children, none of those habits have been wasted. They've absorbed it almost by osmosis and then they revisit and come back.
2: What I always say is, you know, I want to educate my children. And so they don't have to do it. You know, I'm not going to force them to eat fruits and vegetables. I mean, they know what's healthy and what's unhealthy and they know that exercise is good for them, but I'm not going to force them to do it. But I know in their 20s or 30s, they'll remember and they'll make the right choices.
0: And the mindset of self-belief and putting it wherever it is, is still there. So whether that's in their dance and they're overcoming challenges there or being themselves in the world and being able to maintain that in and amongst the group around you've got a perspective that you're bringing to the table that probably really allows them that space to come to who they are,
2: knowing your own work. They do, they see me and they see that I work hard. But again, it's all about finding what you love to do, something that you'll do that you'll stick with. That's important. And whether you do my workout, I'm not that interested in inspiring people to do my workout. I really want to inspire people just to do something do them do them <laughs> but yeah. do something you know that's good for your health you know we talk about
0: personal training like it's a career for you it's who you are and so you're doing you in the world not everybody has that ability at this point to have matched what they do with who they really are and so often it doesn't feel like it's a job it feels like it's something you do and it's something important to feel loved in doing been appreciated, right. invested in and valued, so you can keep doing it because it's love. When you're becoming yourself in the world, it really was associated with love. Mm-hmm. And so is it when you get out there and do this. And I think that's the differentiator in who you're being in the community and what's driving you. It's more than a passion. I think it's really about belief and therefore bringing out
2: anybody's ability to get stronger or love themselves through it. Right. Well, when you give somebody else the space and the support to know that they can do this, and I know everyone can do exercises. And so when I come to them and say, I know you can do this, sometimes they need to know that somebody else has the confidence in them to do it. And then they do it and then feel good about it.
0: Jules and I both are coaches, as you know. The coaching was something for me I came to later, but is who I've always been. And if somebody has an achievement, I am jumping for joy. If they're nervous over a weekend, something's happening, I'm aware of it. I'm pacing at my house waiting (laughs) for news on how they've done. So there is an aspect of it, which is a mother beyond your own children. I know you're not mothering everybody out there, but it is the aspect of something mothers celebrate, which tends to be the successes and achievements and the parts of life where we discover our and we have joy in who we are.
2: Right. Well, I can think of my running half marathons. I love that part of it that people when you set a goal of something you've never done before and then first I'll put it out there and like, Well, I've always wanted to, but I don't know if I can. That's what I love is like, Yes, you can do this. Let me show you how. And I hold their hand and we do it baby steps and baby steps. And then to watch them surprise themselves and then actually do it, you know, whether it's an extra mile a week, by the end they are like, Wow, I just ran a half marathon and that I love watching their self realization of what they they could actually accomplish that's the motivation right yeah, that's, yeah that's definitely. the mom and yeah. watching there
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is who you are it's yeah. like i stand in awe of other people standing in awe of themselves right so if i see a person singing on stage and my hair and my arm stands up standing in awe of other people's greatness it's a wonderful gift back for what you do but it's a great motivator that's why i said it's based in love those kind of things right you have to have that kind of heart to do that
1: yeah we could do with a lot more than in the world Mm -hmm. especially at the moment where we're championing each other, literally Mm -hmm. that, cheering them on and wanting the best for others. right? As opposed to either it being all about me or thinking it's a slant against you if someone is succeeding, achieving or standing their own ground or being themselves and can never be underestimated, I don't think, is that genuine ability to help nurture somebody through something like you're doing with that. Giving that love has way more ripple effects than we all necessarily imagine, I
0: think. So how many marathons, how many triathlons, how many mountains have you climbed? <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's a hard one because I've not kept count. I know for sure I've done 12 marathons. There's too many triathlons. There's a sprinter since Olympic, a half Ironman. Uh, I've only done one Ironman. But the other triathlons, it, I've done so many, I can't even count. Right near the, the Matterhorn,
1: horn. The
2: Mount Whitney. I've done like four adventure races, oh, paddleboard across Lake Michigan, paddleboarded from Catalina Island to Newport Beach, paddled from Malibu to Marina del Rey. Gosh, half the time I forget the things that I've done. I'm not one to go out there and toot my own horn and like, oh, I've done this and I've done that. And I'll leave that to my husband to do. Yeah.
0: (laughs) You are one of the only people I know. If you're having a birthday, this is what you did for your birthday celebration. How many
2: miles is it between Catalina and... From Catalina Island to Newport Beach? uh, 30
1: 30 miles is amazing. Do you literally just zone off? Do you listen to music? Because you're not taking phone calls or on the computer in the screen. You are purely out on the ocean, on your stand-up paddleboard. What sort of insights or thoughts?
2: Well, I think it changes throughout the 10 and a half hours. You know, sometimes I'm thinking about the moment. Sometimes I'm in so much pain, I'm trying to think about anything else but the moment. (laughs) (laughs) You know, sometimes I'll do multiplication tables in my head. It's kind of the gamut. I think the thing about mountain climbing or paddleboarding is sometimes you're so in the moment you can't think about anything else. You can't think about work. You can't think about your kids. You're just living your moments, just living.
1: That's really important because we've talked about this on other shows. Live in the moment, dude. It becomes like a meme. And it's such an important life lesson. The kind of activities you're doing when it's real endurance or it's a challenge like rock climbing, it's actually a physical thing that puts you in the moment, almost like people should have that conversation more about what other things can we help ourselves with to live in the moment.
2: Right. You have to find those things, I guess, because we live not in the moment so much. We're doing one thing like we're driving, but we're you know thinking about something else. Never more so than <laughs> now, I think.
1: I think now is, is keep people fearful of the future and angry at the past. Yes,
2: exactly. And I'm not saying I do it all the time, but I think I try to find those Things that will help me live in the moment.
0: So if you were to say there are a few beliefs or a few philosophies that really help you, having come through the whole trajectory
2: of your life, what would they be? We've heard a few. For me, the main thing, I think, is to be true to yourself. What I would tell my girls is just be you, be kind, be nice, don't lie, be honest, want the best for others. And if you can live that way, everything kind of falls into place. Believe in you is something that is core. I mean, it
0: goes all the way back for you is why me, why this way was from the beginning. And then finding who you are, you've talked about that, and inspiring other people to their greatness and to believe in themselves is definitely core for you.
2: I've noticed that I see some of these young kids and they're like, what's wrong with me, what's wrong with me? Because they're always being influenced by tiktok and instagram and there's really nothing wrong with them they just have to figure out who they are and be themselves it's still hard it's still a struggle they're still trying to figure it out just like it's taken me a long time to figure it out and i know that they will but just to try to remind yourself and then embrace who you are if you're quirky embrace that quirkiness you know we're not all perfect there's no perfect person
1: what is the ethos of our i believe is so much noise in the world, and exactly like you explained there, the children are getting it, we're getting it as adults, and the old generation are getting it, in terms of being told what to believe, who to be, how to think, comparing ourselves against whatever the thing is. And it's just to take that breath to go, hang on a sec, do I believe that? Who am I in there? And all of what you're saying there is, is to come back to allowing ourselves to be ourselves without all the noise and distraction and misdirection, and which is all based ultimately in a very simple terms. It's all based in fear to make us feel bad about ourselves and try and find something outside of ourselves to make it better.
2: Right. And it's from within. There's no magic pill or secret sauce.
1: Or <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd be putting it on my steak and, <laughs> and chips if there was. <laughs> and just on a final note, as we head off into the sunset, not on the battle ball today, at the very start of the show, and we started with five-year-old you. If you were walking down the beach with five-year-old you now, and you had your arm around her, what would you say to her?
2: I'd say to my five-year-old self. I mean, that's so sad, but like, you are wonderful, you're beautiful inside and out, you know, just be true to yourself and you are good enough. I think about myself then I was so insecure as a five-year-old finding out that my situation wasn't how I believed it to be. You know, at that time I thought I wasn't good enough. I wasn't lovable. I didn't have the strength to do or be what I wanted. And so I guess I would tell myself, you know, you are good enough. You are strong enough. Just keep going. Don't give up. He's like, shine on and look at me now, you
0: know, (laughs) because where you are now, you are married, you have children, you have found who you are in the world. Those are the things she never thought she could have or did know. But it's not
2: perfect. And, And I think that that's what people on the outside look in and could potentially say, oh, you know, she has a perfect life. No one has a perfect life. My life is not perfect. I work very hard to be happy and to be confident
1: absolutely we're all a absolutely. work in progress yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and absolutely all of us could put our arms around our five-year-old selves and say you are good enough all of us everyone is listening everyone right everyone on the planet
2: everyone we're all good enough and lovable. I agree make no assumptions
0: about us either when you meet us and I think in your case, a lot of people will talk about don't judge me, don't judge the book by its cover, Over. don't judge by what you see. And often you hear people saying that when what you see might have to be explained in some way. For you, it's like, look, you can't get past the visual of me, which is my beauty, in essence, I'm putting out in the world, I'm shining. And that's an interesting thing for people to know goes on it's like i'm finding it that i need people to not make assumptions about me because i want to shine
2: right you should shine shine. right you should shine yeah and not be intimidated by it or put off by it right right i think that that's a good point we need to teach our children to shine and not be embarrassed by it or ashamed of it yeah shine on
0: shine definitely So Heather, will put your contact information for Malibu Fountain of Youth Fitness in the show notes so people can get in touch. Is there
2: any other things that they can get in touch with you for? Triathlon training, half marathon training. I hold certifications in weight loss, in behavior change, corrective exercise, personal training, group personal training.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> they can find out about all of that and we want to make sure that they do and can see on your website, your paddleboarding videos and things like that, wherever <laughs> yeah. you put it that happened. stuff. It happened, It did happen. <laughs> Heather, thank you so much for sharing and being so open with everybody and being with us today. Thank you for well, having really me. Really, thank you.
1: Thanks but for coming in and shining thank on the you. podcast.
0: And for any of the listeners who want to find out more about what we're doing, you can find us on iBelieve.com, is ibu. L-I-E-V-E dot com. And also, if you really like what we're doing and you want to support us, you can go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash I believe.
2: Now it's your turn. What do you believe? What do you believe?